Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sports Grid Fantasy Football Podcast. My name is Davis Maddock. I am joined today by my buddy, Justin Herzig, from Own the Moment and uh, the Owners Club. We're definitely going to get into uh, some, some NFT chat towards the end. But Justin is also, of course, the, the first winner of Best Ball Mania, Best Ball Mania 1. Uh, Justin, you have spawned a lot of really shitty best ball teams where people drafted for running backs that, uh, you know, I, I guarantee you there are, uh, some Cam Akers, JK Dobbins, Travis Etienne, hyper fragile teams that are, uh, that are sitting out there right now. And then there also are some zero RB teams with Daryl Henderson, James Robinson, and, uh, and Gus bus out there that are feeling, pretty good about themselves right now. It feels like we've been drafting best ball teams for my entire life. Like I don't remember a time where I wasn't taking Jalen Waddle in the eighth round at this point. Gosh, it's crazy. And yeah, I mean, you think about that ETN Dobbins, Akers team, like, Hey, that team was probably going to lose anyways. Like, but if you had those backups, now you're a top 1.1% team. Like think about if you went hyper fragile and obviously you're not, you know, I think that let's go hero RB. Maybe you grab that CMC and then you threw in the Henderson, threw in a Dobbins, and I could have seen like a nine Heem Hines. Like that's a team I would have built. And oof, that is full pants off if you have that team right now. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it is. So my my first question to you is obviously the market on underdogs specifically is three times more efficient, four times more efficient, five times more efficient than it was last season. I think. The, the biggest difference I have seen on fantasy Twitter this year, based on every other year that I've been doing this, and I've been doing this for a long time, is the sorts of teams that people are posting, the sorts of teams that generate, you know, uh, good, good comments and a lot of the structure and, and everything that everyone is talking about is everyone is just very comfortable pounding wide receivers early, very comfortable starting wide receiver, wide receiver, you know, CD lamb back end of the second. T Higgs at the fifth pick or T Higgins at the fourth pick of the uh, fourth round and, and things like that. And I am extremely curious how that's going to impact win rates, because one of the things we've known for a long time is the, the win rate suckers are the early running backs who don't have all the high value touches or a very fragile workload projections. But for example, Josh Jacobs goes in the second round last year has 12 touchdowns, doesn't get benched, you know, and they do add Kenyon Drake, but he's now like a sixth round pick, right? And that is so foreign from all my other years of playing fantasy football. I'm fascinated to see what happens to win rates for guys like Jacobs, guys like Montgomery, uh, Chase Edmonds, Miles Gaskin, guys like that. Right. And I mean, I think the Ezekiel Elliott example is just such a great example from last year that Packer has been, you know, touting. And what is it? 2.1% win rate. I don't want to get that number wrong, but it's, it's something around that. Um, and he still put up on the average around 15 points per game. It was fairly healthy, but the big difference is, is that when people were drafting Zeke last year, <clears throat> they were also then following that up by probably drafting another five running backs. And when you have six running backs and your top first round guy is putting up 15 points per game, he's only actually getting you probably an extra, what, two to three points over the rest of your running back. So that's why he had such a low win rate and was a wasted pick. Now, if you isolate and you say, hey, I drafted Ezekiel Elliott, he got me 15 points per game. And I also only drafted three other running backs that also did pretty decent. Now what we're saying is, no, it's not like Zeke getting you any more points. But the thing is, your draft capital at that position is substantially less. So we're able to say there's two other wide receivers. Hopefully now, maybe you got an extra 10 and whatever it was, propelled you forward so that win rate is higher. And I think that's something similar we're seeing this year. If we go back and look at the past couple of years draft, we're not actually seeing that much of a difference, in my opinion, in the first two rounds. They're still around the same number of running backs drafted in the first two rounds. It's what you said. It's directly after that second round is where everyone starts falling. And like, if we think of last year, like the guys that were getting drafted at the end of the two, early third, like that's where that Chris Carson that's where the James Conner guys that actually really liked last year. And like, we kind of talked ourselves into it, but this year there's that kind of sharper side of, well, a what's the actual plausibility, the likelihood of this happening. And where does that actual upside look like? 
when, hey, let's just hammer the wide receivers. And uh, so I think that's where we're really falling back. We're seeing that real depth. And I would not be shocked at the highest win rate from a roster construction next year, and not from a player, from roster construction, is going to be something where it's five running backs. Because last year, five running backs wasn't that successful, but five running backs means that you were drafting a fifth running back that, I don't know, if you're doing it in the eighth round, like those are guys that now would be going in the 13th. So now if we say you're getting that fifth running back, but we're taking these fifth round run, fifth running backs in that 12, 13, 14th range, you're waiting other than maybe your hero. That's where I think we may have the strongest kind of new roster construction coming out of this year. Yeah, I, I would say that definitely a plurality and maybe even a majority of my teams now uh, on the, the 18 round underdog format are two quarterbacks five running backs, nine wide receivers, and two tight ends. I, I really try to get one of Kittle, Waller, Kelsey, Hawkinson, Andrews in most drafts. Even, even when I don't, I'll, I'll do like uh, Noah Fant and Parham or Tunyon and Zach Ertz or something like that. Like I don't love to take the three tight ends. I was drafting a lot of Irv Smith Jr. Not great. He just had surgery. So Don, Donald Parham is going to have to score some points for me this season for sure. But the, the fifth running back, especially because, you know, what, what would naturally follow is if we're pushing all these wide receivers up, if KJ Hamler is going in the 14th round, if Donovan Peoples-Jones is going in the 15th round, that means people aren't taking Ty Johnson, James White, Giovanni Bernard, Damian Williams, like all these guys who project for, like they're for sure going to get some points weekly and any week where they score a touchdown, they have a pretty good chance of hitting your lineup. And this was something I was arguing about with uh, Eric Bime for really early on as I was posting these five running back teams with James White being the fifth a lot of the time. Because when the when we were doing these drafts in June and July, James White was like free. Like you could straight up get James White in like the 17th round. And, and we all kind of saw the writing on the wall that Mac Jones was going to be the quarterback probably sooner rather than later. And even with Cam at quarterback last year, he had like a, what, like a 14 and a half percent market share of the targets. And I, I started drafting Gio over him, but that it's neither here nor there. My, my point the entire time was you could, you could start with a hyper fragile strategy. You could have Zeke, Clyde Edwards, Hilaire and Dobbins, right? If you went, you went hyper fragile and then, you know, you take your, your handcuff, your Alexander Madison, whoever. I just love having you know, if, if my guy misses a week for injury, right. Or, or, you know, the scenario we've talked about is, you know, what happens if CMC misses week 16 for, you know, maybe, maybe he's on the coat, maybe he's on health and safety protocols, right. CMC misses week 16. You have a hyper fragile team. You don't have any way to generate running back points this week. You miss out. CMC has his 30 point game in week 17. So I, I prefer pretty greatly prefer the five running back stuff to the four running back stuff, especially because, to me, there are still great prices on fifth running backs. If the market was more efficient there, I would like it less. But the market, I think, has been really inefficient rounds 15 to 18 with running backs. Yeah, no, that makes complete sense. And I mean, I've been doing a lot more DraftKings lately just because I maxed out the uh, underdog a little earlier in the offseason because I just didn't expect that underdog was going to get softer as we got closer because, you know, the, it, the it has, by the way. Really? Yeah, I, I did. I did some I, I've been doing, you know, obviously I've been doing multiple drafts every day and I have noticed significantly probably the last five days that the drafts have gotten considerably softer. Wide receivers are falling a little bit more. And, and the telltale sign if a draft is softer is if quarterbacks start going earlier because that's a very inexperienced player thing where you're like, I just, I got to make sure to have my quarterbacks. I got to make sure that I'm getting quarterback points. And so like if you're in a draft and Ben Roethlisberger goes in the 14th round or whatever, you can kind of mentally check that one off as that this is a little bit softer of a draft. Yeah, that's only fair. But I mean, I'm also confident that on the other sites, it's even softer. Yes. And uh, so I mean, like, but what I was going to throw out there is, oh my gosh, the edge for if you're taking the zero or hero RB from a DraftKings format yes. is just ridiculous. Like you don't, the difference between these third round running backs and even some of the seconds and such and what you're getting with the Geo and the James White at the end is so small and minuscule compared to the edge that you're getting from getting those elite wide receivers. I've been going drafts where I'm taking five or six wide receivers to start the draft, knowing that I can only start four a week and it doesn't matter. And I'm just saying I am going to have the best wide receiver core in my league far and away. 
I can easily make up for points. The quarterbacks aren't as valuable. The, the ones with the rushing um, you know, floor and upside just aren't as big of a deal because of the scoring system. Yeah, the 300-yard bonus. The 300-yard bonus and the PPR for other points. So when you're yeah. talking about how many points your QB is scoring percent-wise to your larger team, it's less. So you really shouldn't be reaching for quarterback there. You shouldn't be reaching for running backs. So it's just like, hey, give me my elite tight end. Give me a ton of wide receivers. Um, and then from a tight end perspective, you mentioned it earlier, but I, no one's been talking about it. Is Mark Andrews just getting more and more set up for just a amazing he's score like season? 15 touchdowns? Yeah. He's going to have so many touches. I mean, it, we just injury after injury after injury to that team. Obviously, we know they're a shot Bateman. We now have the Dobbins. Um, no one's trusting Sammy to be, be healthy. Um, even Marquise Brown is still having his issues. Like, Mark Andrews might have, you know, I don't know. I'm throwing out numbers now. But what? We're talking eight, nine targets a game wouldn't be out of the realm. And then with that level of touchdown efficiency, I, I've been loving, loving grabbing Mark Andrews. Yeah. So let's, uh, let's actually, let's take a little detour here. And let's, uh, let's talk about the Baltimore situation because I saw the immediate reaction from a lot of drafters like, oh, you got to start smashing Gus Edwards now. Like Gus Edwards is, a, is now a premium running back pick. You know, I've seen him go in that DeAndre Swift, Chris Carson tier. And to me, that feels insane. And maybe, and I am very willing to be wrong about this. Maybe Gus Edwards has a 250 carry season where he averages five and a half yards per carry. He's been super efficient every year of his career, you know, better, you know, uh, like better PFF grade, more yards per carry than Dobbins and Ingram and things like that. My whole thing the entire time and why I don't have a ton of Gus Edwards, I'd have to go look how much, like I have some is that I felt he had very little contingent value that if JK Dobbins was to get injured, he would see more carries. Like it was never that he was, wouldn't see more carries, but that his role would not particularly change. It's not like they're going to start throwing him the ball. It's not like he is going to be like viewed as like a dynamic playmaker inside of their offense. I guess the big shift would be in touchdown equity that they would, I guess would be unlikely to use justice Hill or Tyson Williams or whatever running back they would sign off the street is the primary goal line guy. But what I did in my projections was I gave Gus Edwards more carries, obviously, but I gave Lamar more carries too. And Lamar, I mean, Lamar around the goal line, like he's unstoppable. If they choose to like, I would imagine they continue to choose to use him that way. And what do we know about what makes legendary running back seasons? It's all about touchdowns and it's all about receptions. I, I think that, part of the reason why Gus Edwards is getting steamed so much is people just remember that, that 2019 Mark Ingram season. I, I don't even think people are thinking that much about it. I think people are just thinking, Oh, well, the starting running back is out and Gus Edwards is competent. And so he's going to have a huge year. Uh, I mean, back in May, when I put out that first article for ETR, which was the, the five keys to winning a best ball <laughs> here, I'll read right now. Cause I just pulled it up, but for RBs, I don't want the timeshare back on a team that has shown, even with injuries, they're not willing to give one running back a bell cow roll. I usually want to be drafting the third down backs unless they have shown an ability to play up spike weeks. I'd rather have to take a, I'd rather take the backup running back to a bell cow who's unlikely to see a field early in the season more than an RB with a guaranteed third down roll, but no line of sight to much more. I want Alexander Madison over Gus Edwards. And uh, obviously, would rather have Gus Edwards knowing what we know now. But if you assume that Dalvin Cook and J.K. Dalvin have the same chance of having this injury, if anything, you'd actually say it's Dalvin Moore. If Dalvin went down, we'd be talking about Alexander Madison as an end of the first round, as an end of the first round draft pick. And because we have seen it on the field, Vikings want to have a bell cow. Vikings want to have one running back who's pass catcher, who is their offense. And uh, when Dalvin was out for those games, Madison was putting up, other than that one, you know, dud primarily like having huge games. Gus Edwards, we've seen, I mean, yes, he had, and what, last season, I think he had one or two games with 20 plus touches, but overall, the Ravens don't want to have that bell cow role. You still are going to have Lamar around the goal line. You're still going, I wouldn't be surprised if they bring someone else in. Maybe Justice Hill has that increased role, whatever it is. But yeah, Gus Edwards' overall role doesn't change. I agree with you, more carries, probably a bit more touchdown efficiency there. But when you're when you're drafting him with the upside of, hey, there's a season-ending injury to the starter above him, and then he moves into maybe, I don't know, my opinion, the fourth to seventh round, um, I'm on the later side. I'm not going to argue people want to say fourth, fifth, but like 
that was his upside play. And that's why I still think from a process wise, it was better to be drafting Alexander Madison four rounds, three rounds later than Gus Edwards um, and, and playing with it as you, as you will. Yeah. So in half PPR, I have Gus Edwards as the 21st overall running back. So that is exactly in the Mike Davis, Miles Sanders, Miles Gaskin, Chase Edmonds, and James Robinson range. I, I think that James Robinson projection is very controversial. People, people love James Robinson much more than they love Gus Edwards. I mean, they, they like Gus Edwards too. Like people just like the guys who have won them money, right? Like that. And so the, the, the J Rob stuff is insane to me, how much people love James Robinson. Like it, I, I was, have been very taken aback by how excited people are to draft James Robinson. They love him as much as coaches love Carlos Hyde. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I have, I have, um, okay. I have chase or I have James Robinson projected for 193 carries and I have Carlos Hyde projected for 116 and that, that like 60, 40 split would like make people lose their minds. They're like, no way, but Carlos Hyde could legit get more. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's more likely to be like, a. even if he doesn't get more, I could still see 60, 30, 10 with someone else that we're bringing into it. And yeah, maybe that 10 o- is actually- Zigbo or Ogumbawale or whoever. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, and also like if you were to put like Dare as like that third down pass catching back, I don't think that shocked anyone. I don't think it's shocked even if Carlos Hyde kind of played a bit more of that kind of third down back uh, and they still just kept James Robinson as the bruiser. Um, either way, like, yeah. If you were drafting him, you, you, you sucked out. Uh, I think I have less than, probably less than 2% of him. Um, just, again, same thing. I didn't see the upside. It's a new coaching staff. If we didn't have this new coaching staff, if they didn't show such a desire to draft a new running back, sign a new running back, then sure, like maybe we'd be, we'd be higher on him. But like it's a completely different situation than last year. Well, and, you know, the thing that people forget about Carlos Hyde is that was actually his initial role in the NFL. Carlos Hyde's initial role when he was on the San Francisco 49ers was a guy who caught a lot of passes. He was not very efficient in doing it, but Carlos Hyde in 2017 had an 88 target season. Like he would like, that was how, that was how they chose to use him. And, you know, he got cut by Cleveland in the, cause they had uh, what they had Chubb. And they had another guy who was good then Chubb and Oh, and Duke Johnson. Yeah. So that was the, that was, and of course, Nick Chubb really ended up breaking up that year after being inactive uh, the first couple games of the season, which is what I think would have happened with ETN. ETN would have been super frustrating to own for the first month of the season. And he would have eventually got there, but apparently that seems controversial because all these, all these ETN shorters have come out of the woodwork now because there's, no downside to that position. Like you could just be like, Oh, ETN was never going to break out because he's not going to have a chance to break out until next season because he's on season ending IR. But I, I, I certainly have been throwing some 18th round darts at Carlos Hyde, which again comes back to the fifth running back fifth or sixth running back market being inefficient because like, if you just log on underdog right now, the best pick round 16, 17, 18, and this is true on DraftKings as well, it's very likely going to be a running back because the wide receiver market is so thinned out and dead by that point. Yeah, I, I still have some wide receivers I really like. And on DraftKings, I'm still just trying to hammer and have nine to 10 wide receivers per a draft. Um, but definitely agree with underdog where, um, you know, you want to get your wide receivers early on, save those last two picks for either maybe a third tight end or that kind of uh, fifth running back that you think has some form of a upside. All right. Who are, who are some of these late round wide receivers? Because for me, uh, let's see here. I can just, I can pull up a slow draft right now and look at the board and tell you, um, you know, basically for me after Pringle and Donovan people's Jones and Deshaun Jackson go, it gets extremely thin. Like where then you start talking about guys who are, are basically just traffic cones, right? Uh, Demarcus Robinson is, is definitely one of them for me. Now I take Demarcus Robinson, but guys, a traffic cone and, you know, Denzel Mims, uh, Quintus Cephas, who I guess maybe gets a small boost with the news that Perryman just got cut, but it's certainly, I feel less confidence in Jalen Guyton, than I do that like Marlon Mack has some upside or Jarek McKinnon will give me some, some usable weeks. Yeah. And I mean, I'm talking, so even 20th round for DK, I'm often finding myself still able to get, uh, you know, and 
Eskridge. I'm still able to get, yeah. um, let's see, obviously love my boy, Josh Palmer. Um, and he's been looking fantastic and like, he's starting to be a lot more difficult. KJ Hamler, after he had the big game, you can't get him actually anywhere past. Yeah. Like, it's such 16th. a bummer. Yeah. Um, even Deami like still is falling into kind of that like 18th, 19th rounds. Um, but you're probably right in the 20th. I, I mean, 20th round is probably where I'm often taking that kind of last running back um, because, I don't know, Samaj P. Ryan's still there. Darrington Evans with the injury is there. Like the guys who just are not going to have a role unless there's an injury. But in the 20th, I'm fine with it. Um, or I go over to the tight end space and I get that parm. I get the O.J. Howard. Um, Friar moves it, then moving up a little. But yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I am. Uh, yeah, I think that's probably right. And that's actually what I have started doing is just in the 18th round, set up my teams to start taking Donald Parham because I just I feel like that is the, the best use of resources. Um, and the, the tight end landscape is interesting, too, because we have seen the huge win rates for just a few tight ends the last couple of years. Right. Like, you know, Kelsey Waller, uh, not not Kittle last season, TJ Hawkinson, decent win rates. I think one of the biggest win rate spots we could see when we retroactively go back to look at this season is just going to be one of these top, you know, just, I don't know who could be Evan Ingram could be Tunyon uh, maybe could have been Troutman. I think the injury set him back a little bit. Like I, I was not drafting a ton of him, but just everything was adding up in new Orleans to give an 80, you know, an 80 catch season to, to Troutman just because literally ever like Traquan Smith hasn't even been, playing or practicing yeah, right but that's was, like saying everything was adding up for Brashad Perryman too but if you're not just not good and you're not able to play the position then well, I have like no Perryman I've got like Ugh. I've got like I've got like three percent Perryman I I was never I was never um I was never on board with the Perryman stuff but because I think at wide receiver what you see is people will make those assumptions right oh everything's adding up for Brandon Cooks everything's adding up for Perryman uh, everything is at who's a, who's another bad what bad what I, I don't know everything's adding up for for Brian Edwards or or whoever Jacoby yeah I mean Jacoby Myers you've got I, I like Jac- I like Jacoby volume. Myers but yeah yeah but I think that so the difference is like an 87 target season in the 13th round for a wide receiver if you're drafting teams structurally properly that guy literally might not hit your lineup all year or he might hit your lineup in the bye weeks or whatever but just due to the way that the tight end position functions. If, uh, let's see here, if Tyler Croft randomly has uh, 47 receptions, 515 yards and five touchdowns, like that might be good for like tight end 13. And that guy might, that guy might hit your lineup five times or whatever. So it's just, it's like finding anyone and all, you know, the other thing is healthy, right? If a tight end stays healthy for 17 games and even can average like nine and a half half point PPR games or whatever they might end up having a good win rate but i think the difference is at that tight end i want to be looking for the oj howard not the eric ebron i want to be looking for the um blake jarwin not the dalton schultz but we understand like and dawson knox is even one who like if you just, I mean, it's tough because buffalo offense blah 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 but like even when josh allen had his amazing year like you look at his lines like he still never had more than three targets yes he'll throw in some touchdowns but a game where he has 15 yards and a touchdown, like that doesn't matter. I mean, those eight points, it's not there. What I want is instead that game where something OJ Howard has the four receptions, 70 yards and a touchdown. Those are the ones who really put you over the edge. And uh, yeah, there's also a decent chance that OJ Howard is the number three tight end on the team and stuff. Um, but I'm willing to take that risk in those late drafts. Yeah. So what, what actually has been, uh, your your strategy as it pertains to tight ends? Like, is your exposure really heavy on the top three guys? Are you really heavy on Hawkinson or Andrews? Uh, I mean, Pitts, which is like, you know, it's literally who knows. I, I don't know. Pitts, like, of all the years I've been playing fantasy football, I feel like I Kyle Pitts is the guy I have the worst feel for, like, of all time. I think for underdog, it was very heavy on Mark Andrews, and that's just where their drafts fell because I didn't love any of the other players there. You were in between the wide receiver tier, like where the end of the T. Higgins, then you move into that kind of just big bulk. Um, It's usually right after those kind of elite quarterbacks start going uh, or kind of finish going for Dak, but after Lamar. You also have the opportunity to stack with Lamar at that point. And uh, as I said, like I was big on Andrews just because I think from an efficiency and he's the kind of, 
uh, in the kind of offense that could have a huge year. Uh, it's not going to be as consistent, but just from a spike weeks, love that. Uh, and then on DraftKings, uh, so much Darren Waller. Um, I kind of just kind of started making the bet that anywhere after pick, like probably Antonio Gibson, um, I was like, I would rather have Darren Waller than grab one of these AJ Brown, Justin Jefferson and wide receivers. And the main reason being is I think there's a substantial difference between Darren Waller and George Kittle, um, just from the way that those offenses are going to use them. And so if at the end of the second and those kind of four picks, I take Waller, I can still then get one of those wide receivers on the comeback, but that's, you know, still at the Keenan Allen or better tier. And I think Waller can be a league winner um, with the amount of volume, uh, you know, just volume and efficiency that he gets, as well as you know, still having that kind of big play upside. Um, and because on DraftKings you have those twenty rounds, I'm happy to just hammer the wide receivers basically from rounds like two to seven, and I make up for missing out on that AJ Brown and starting off with wide receiver, wide receiver, but instead going Waller, wide receiver in that second third. Well, yeah, on, on DraftKings, if you only go two quarterbacks and two tight ends, which obviously if you take Kelsey Kidd or Waller, you are only taking two tight ends. I mean, you can have like 11 wide receivers. You can have 12 wide receivers. You can really push the limit and make up, you know, incrementally, you know, you, you're, you're two, two at wells, you're court, you know, you're going to get one, you're going to get one spike week in, in all likelihood from those guys really deep down the pool. What is, uh, what is your guess on how the 2021 season is going to end up reframing how we think about best ball. Because obviously last year, very interesting with the lack of preseason, uh, very interesting with like, you know, all the COVID protocol stuff actually during the season, like guys randomly missing games, right? We had uh, the Ravens and the Titans, what they played on Wednesday night. We had the Browns play a game with no wide receivers. We had lots of guys miss, you know, you know Rojo uh, was having this great season uh, and pr- would have been a league winner, you know, would have had this insane league winning rate had he not been on the health and safety protocol list and, and injured his hands. So kind of what is your guess with somewhat of a more normal season? It actually remains to be seen how the health and safety protocols end up impacting the season. But my guess is, is it will be incrementally more normal this year. What will kind of just kind of what is your your or I guess maybe even what are you going to be looking for over the course of the season to inform your strategy for next year? Yeah. And I think one of the ways I kind of frame it is I think like, Hey, when we end this season, what are they going to be the big key takeaways? What are those big talking points? Um, and then how can I you know, get ahead of that right now? I think one of those examples is the rookies. Um, the rookies aren't being drafted in best ball substantially different than people are considering them in redraft. And for these extremely high, you know, the heavy payout structure where that last week is so important, we should really be drafting teams where we think about, hey, these are the players that are going to really excel in that final week. And you hear it here and there, but like Javante Williams is an example of someone like, yeah, the, every time we talk about Melvin Gordon's looking good, Melvin Gordon's going to have the larger role right now. But I wouldn't be shocked if, you know, Yes, Melvin Gordon might have that for the first 12, 13 weeks. But if it's Javante Williams in week 16, week 17, that's getting that Jonathan Taylor-like finish, that's huge. And he's not being drafted anywhere near where he should. That said, it's not that I have that many of him because he still goes against a lot of my other priors and larger roster construction concepts. But those are kind of the ones where sometimes I'm like, hey, I need to reach for this to get there. Um, and it's just so hard because you can't just use it as a blanket statement because no, I actually don't think that Trey Sermon is a better fit for the system than Raheem Mostert is. So like, I'm not going right. to start drafting the rookie there just because he's the rookie, but I do think there is that larger. And like, we even saw it last year and it still just hasn't worked itself enough into the narrative that these rookies, they take time to learn, but they're the ones who are most likely to be getting the increased usage, utiliza- utilization, efficiency, all of that come the end of the season for these tournaments. Um, so I think that's, that's one thing that I would say is a, a big one. And then the second is the roster construction. Um, I mean, we don't have data from DraftKings in the past year on what was successful for best ball. Uh, we do for underdog and it was a you know, decent, large enough sample from number of teams, but it's still just one season of data. So it ends up being a really small sample. Um, I believe that underdog, I'm saying this, I think one of the best win rates next year will be that five. And I think we'll then shift the way that we think about um, 
I think we'll, we'll shift the way we think about roster constructions is like, hey, this is the gold standard. And yeah, there is some fluidity that's based off how others are drafting in these drafts, how we should consider it. And then on DraftKings, gosh, I hope that next year we can maybe get some data out there but uh, um, to, to learn more here. But I think the teams that are going to be winning uh, in the DraftKings, people are going to be like, I should have just been drafting more wide receivers. I don't know. Like, why was I being stupid enough to draft that six running back that is you know, in, in a PPR system with 100-yard bonuses? The wide receivers are just going to have so many spike weeks that you're going to need those to really advance in the playoffs. Which is something that we're already thinking about for DFS, right? I mean, uh, like, so it's sort of interesting because obviously in DFS, you get the benefit of having all of the information. So like week eight, uh, you know, let's say James Robinson is, is a game day and active. Carlos Hyde is, is uh, 4,100. So you play Alvin Kamara, Christian McCaffrey, and Carlos Hyde at the flex or whatever. So we think about it that way. But the teams that actually have like really crazy high ceilings on DraftKings and that show up winning like the Millie Maker or, or top 0.1% uh, finishes are four wide receiver teams a lot of the time. It's, oh, KJ Hamler like went insane this week. Uh, Cedric Wilson had two touchdowns for the Cowboys. Dwayne Eskridge or Freddie Swain or whoever is the third wide receiver for the Seahawks because it's just, it's just easier to get points via receptions. I mean, there were not even that many 100 yard rushing games in the NFL. We'd have, we'd have full weeks go by with no one getting the 100 yard rushing bonus. And so we can, we can conceive of that for DFS. And that's like a fairly common talking point that it's like a really good GPP strategy to be using these four wide receiver teams, but people are, are still drafting their lineups. To like they'd like to use a running back in the flex on, on DK specifically. And, and honestly, that example is even tilted because the difference being when you go into the DFS and you find that Carlos Hyde 4,100, you know that day this is the right play. And there's probably only right. one or two running backs in that situation. The difference is with wide receivers. The reason why no one wants to draft the KJ Hamler for DFS is because there's nothing in that week that tells you KJ Hamler is going to go off. Is going to go off. Maybe you can read that, hey, this team, you know, quarterback match or whatever you want to go with. But like, there's no easy pinpoint that, oh, even if the number one wide receiver, Judy or Sutton goes down, like we're going to have Hamler. But across the season, there are, and each team, there's at least one wide receiver that has that opportunity to really go off each week that we're just not expecting. And those are what I want on my best ball teams. The Carlos Hyde each week, there might be two or three where there's an injury or something. That's why we're more confident and we play those in our DFS lineups because we're scared little kids and we want those safe points. But in reality, in best ball, I don't need to be that scared person because I'm just drafting a ton across the season. And when they hit, I am there to just reap the benefits. Yeah, I mean, it's like uh, in best ball, you're going to have a lot of dead teams, but it's scary to have dead teams in DFS because you're thinking about like, well, you're, you're thinking about every decision. You, you have to actually set the lineup. Like you don't get to, oh, I don't get to sub out Carlos Hyde for KJ Hamler this week. You know, the computer doesn't decide that for you. And when you are making a lot of teams, it, it is, it, you know, we, we just harp on this structural stuff so much. And I feel like we have now reached the part of the season to where enough more casual, more normal people whose brains are not broken by gambling the way ours are, they're starting to come in. And like, I've noticed that specifically over like the last two weeks, I'm getting way more negative feedback on these teams I post with, you know, sketchy running back twos. Like I just did this managed team with Leone last night where our first running back was Daryl Henderson. Our second running back was AJ Dillon. Our third running back was Tony Pollard. Our fourth was Damian Williams. And people are looking at this team like, oh, well, that's a bad team. Like that team is, is not, is going to have trouble scoring enough points to win. Like they are, they are, can, they're worried about our running backs. And that's how you know you're doing it right. Yeah. It's just, it is like, uh, we, we, we've spent all off season, you know, kind of understanding these very specific things about how fantasy football works. And we're getting more information every single year, but then we get closer to the season and, and, you know, the, the, the normies, I guess, flood in, or just like, that's, I don't even mean to be derogatory, but just people who don't think about fantasy football 365 days a year. And they're like, dude, I don't want to start James White at my running back too. I, I want to start Josh Jacobs in my running back too. Yeah. And I mean, redraft is even more of a re 
reason. Like if you're if you're drafting more than one running back in the first five rounds, and when I say that, I mean really like the first five picks and then not again for season long, you're doing it wrong. Um, we, we, we do it for best ball because we don't have the ability to kind of ride that those waiver wire. Um, it, it's funny seeing like some of the uh, redraft you know, drafts that are popping up on Twitter and stuff and, and then people have, you know, really just getting behind that. And it's, yeah, okay, well, we're, we're getting smarter. We're doing this right. Yeah, that's so that you actually do make a great point, which I have been meaning to get on the show for a while, which is that zero running back teams are way stronger in managed leagues than they are in best ball. Obviously, you can still draft winning teams in best ball that are zero RB oriented. And, you know, the best teams, the, the, the absolute best rosters in, you know, best ball mania and the DK millionaire maker were teams that were drafted fairly early that have cheap prices on Daryl Henderson. James Robinson, Gus Edwards, uh, even like 20th round, Sony Michelle or whatever. And the worst teams are the ones that have, you know, Cam Akers, Travis Etienne, JK Dobbins, et cetera, et cetera. But in managed leagues, Boston Scott in week seven, right? Carlos Hyde in in week 10, JJ Taylor in in week four or whatever, you know, and the the other helpful thing, and this is a, a meta layer that I think is not that exploited is when you draft zero running back teams in these high stakes managed leagues, you know exactly what you need on the waiver wire every single week because you're very likely going to feel strong at quarterback because you allow yourself the opportunity to take a strong quarterback doing zero running back teams, right? You don't have to take Chase Edmonds. You take Dak Prescott or Lamar or Kyler Murray or whatever. And a huge tenant of that strategy is also the strong tight end. So you can feel confident that like, 70% of the fab that you get at the beginning of the year is very likely to be spent on running backs. And like, that's very helpful when setting waivers to know exactly what your team needs. Yeah. I mean, it's basic math on a dra- on a best ball team. I'm going to have four to five, maybe at most six running backs. Okay. In a redraft league, your running backs is the entire waiver wire pool. You have access to 30 different running backs and you can decide when's the right time to bring them in. That's why there's so much more reason not to worry about like, hey, I'm not starting the league with a great running back. In a week or two, you'll be fine. Right, exactly. Um, And like, you know, another thing is like, you can think like, oh, well, I can draft Anthony McFarland. And then if Kalen Balaj is getting carries behind behind Najee Harris in in week one, like, okay, all right, great. I got my first cut. Have my, yeah, and- when you have, when you don't draft as your running back team, when you draft, you know, a more traditionally balanced team or whatever, you might not want to cut your fifth wide receiver. Like you might not want to cut uh, Russell Gage Hardman, or or right. McCole Hardman. Yeah. Like, like yeah. McCole, I mean, McCole Hardman is literally the guy, right. Where if he gets two targets and one carry in week one, a regular balanced team might have to cut him to pick up the you know the the wide receiver flavor of the week or the tight end flavor of the week or the running back flavor of the week but on a zero running back team and i have i mean i've done two main events and we took hardman and one didn't take him in the other but he's our sixth or seventh wide receiver and we will not have to cut him he we we can keep him we can cut Ramondre stevenson we can cut uh kylan hill or or tony jones jr or whoever to to chase the points that we know that we need yeah uh, all right. What else? Uh, well, I, let's, let's get into this. Have you done any high stakes managed leagues yet? I'm not doing any. I am trying to get away You're from out. as many managed leagues as possible. I've still got some of my like keepers and higher stakes ones there. And even there, uh, sorry, not to drop the bombshell now, but this is probably my last year in a couple of those leagues too. Um, just from a time commitment and such, right. It's not there. And gosh, the hourly is probably, uh, it's, oh, the it's worse than so my best ball hourly. Yeah. Yeah. The, 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 the main event drafts are just very fun to me. So I, I think I will always still do them. It's also incredibly helpful to have co-managers. Like I, like if I was one of these FFPC grinders who was doing all these teams myself, no co-managers, no splitting of the, of the prize pool, no splitting of the cost. I don't think I could do it either. Like having, having, and also it's like a, you know, it's a good social activity. You keep up with your friends, you sweat your teams, but yeah, you're, you're right. I mean, the manager leagues do it. It's just, it is like doing, doing your week eight waivers. The, the waivers that always get me are the, the Thanksgiving week ones where I'm like so busy. I might be traveling. Like it's just a whole thing. And I'm like, this is the worst. 
Yeah, we've got we've got one league that's uh, I, I think it's still going on. Still need some momentum, but it's a it's a 10k buy-in. It's got some bigger names in it, and uh, so that's probably the one that I'm like, hey, let's focus around this. There's some really right. cool new concepts around it. Um, but beyond that, it's a uh, I'm, I'm trying to move more towards the business side of things. The uh, not to mention obviously the DFS just so such a grind. But yeah, 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 and you you do. Um... Like you do a lot of the other DFS stuff, like not just main slate, like you're grinding, like the 4 p.m. slate, you're, you know, oh, your max second entering. half stuff. That's my jam. Yeah. Which is, uh, you know, again, as we, we are 13 days away from the season now from, from, from it officially starting. I, I think that's, I think 13 days is right. That is, uh, everyone always says this on podcasts, but you know, the most exploitable slates, slates are the ones where there are no content or minimal content or minimal projections or minimal ownership projections. And, you know, that extension by extension, we can talk about that for best ball too. All the content is centered on underdog. People are not doing as much content for DK. People are not doing as much content for drafters, which is a huge, I mean, drafters specifically, like there's a huge shift in how you should be drafting teams and everything because it's cumulative scoring. You don't have to be thinking about week 17 and things like that, but you don't have to, you don't have to pull back the curtain the far way, but if someone was like wanting to take DFS a little bit more seriously and grind some of these side slates, how would you suggest starting doing that? Yeah. It, it's all about finding something that you think that, Hey, you have line of sight to putting in more time, more effort, more something and getting some kind of an edge. And for me, that's what happened with the second half last year. First off, I started playing it. I absolutely just loved it because it was the first time since back to like what 2013 time period where I could watch a game and the decisions literally have to come from what is happening either in my head or on my computer or whatever. Like, because you have to adapt in real time, you probably have 15 minutes to truly make your lineup. There's no projections out there. There's no touting. There's no content out there. It's you and your computer and your, and whatever it is and putting that there. And as well, I absolutely love that from a pure stance. It also is the first time that I feel like, subjectivity into actually watching the tape and I'm tape. I mean like live game film because you have to watch the game and play that you have to see like, Hey, I, yeah, we love Deandre Hopkins coming into this, but they're just, Kyler's just not looking his way at all. Do I think that's going to change in the second half? Or do I think that this is a, uh, you know, a defensive zone system where they're just not going, they're just going to take him out of the game and I need to adapt to that. Then the injuries aspect, obviously the who's ahead, who's behind, how do you adapt from that? Um, then there's some interesting things just around like kickers and defenses because defense, well, you're far more likely to get a shutout because you have less than, you know, you have half the time that you need to do it for. Exactly. Um, but then like uh, the point system's a little different and the kicking's interesting um, because some people believe that, hey, if the team's ahead, they're more likely to kick. But then if you're ahead, are you actually just going to play it safer? Uh, like, there's just a lot of interesting dynamic to it. And so I love that game. Yeah. Um, and then showdown stuff, right? Showdown last year, much less of an exploitable game. The ownership percentages yeah. got very strong. Uh, people were very rarely submitting dead lineups, right? With like, without rules and, you know, kind of the, the, the gal brain introduction last year was the concept of rules, right? So like, you know, if Claypool then degrade Juju Smith-Schuster's projection, right? Uh, don't use two running backs on a team together or, you know, if Ezekiel Elliott in the captain, then don't use the Philadelphia Eagles defense against him, you know, so on and so forth. And that was kind of like level, I would say that's like level three strategy, probably if we're thinking like in, in poker terms. And that is how most people playing in showdown now are going to be doing it. I mean, you'll always have, you know, your, your buddy who's, who's sitting on the couch watching the game and just wants to throw a lineup in. And then, you know, I know that a lot of people have started to utilize Sims for showdown and, uh, you know, obviously the, the quality of the Sims is going to impact the quality of the lineup. What are your, what are your thoughts on showdown? Do you still think this is like a, a beatable game on, on DK, you know, or, or do you think that you really truly the, the quality of the lineup actually should be worse to guarantee uniqueness? Like that's, that's like level six or whatever. Yeah. Well, and as you were saying, like, yeah. So if the general trend is we're now starting to use, you know, tools and stuff that are helping us with the correlation aspects, the people who are far smarter than me and are doing the 150 max very successfully, 
they were now saying, hey, we actually want to go against those rules and we want to do what those yep. rules are actually blocking you out. I do want to actually have both those running backs. I do actually want to have these two that, yeah, across a large enough sample size, they inversely correlate. Like you don't want to put them together, but because you then have these tools and these projection models, these models that are built off those correlation, which those correlation it may have a 5% impact, which like, yeah, that's substantial, but in a one game situation, throw that out when you know that the ownership is so strong on that side. And uh, so I think there is definitely still an edge from like a, Hey, if you're doing a max GPPs kind of thing, um, it's also just something that is so hard to realize that edge. Uh, and like, I think there's a small amount of people who really have the, uh, the, the time, the capital, the ability to kind of really maximize it. Um, from a- let, let, let me tell you, no easier way to go broke than piling a ton of entries into <laughs> showdown. I got very lucky in 2019 because, you know, Colin is like probably the best, one of the best NFL showdown players. Yeah, and, and I had access to, to him while building. Um, and I got super lucky in the low dollar stuff, like uh, won, won the mini max a couple times and then things like that, doing 150 and literally gave it all back last year. Didn't win <laughs> once, didn't get close, didn't have a top 0.1% finish, like probably was down like $5,000 or something in showdown last year. And got lucky in the main slate a couple times, so ended up having a good year. But I, I think for all my action this year, FanDuel and DraftKings, you know, I am going to be switching to, and this is something Bimefor talks about a lot, which is that it's so much easier to realize your equity in smaller field, higher dollar things. So instead of spending 300 bucks a slate, you know, max entering small stuff, which I think my DK account is probably going to be, I might not be eligible for it here pretty soon. But just like, okay, I'm going to play the $50 single entry for the Thursday night Jags Titans showdown instead of trying to max enter anything. And just because then it's even a little bit easier to use your correlation matrix. And like, you can, you know, obviously don't use all the salary cap and, you know, maybe you could play, you know, uh, James Robinson and Carlos Hyde together, but you, you kind of don't have to go to like that level six when you're playing the single entry, you can build lineups that kind of tell a story. Yeah, no, I know uh, people kind of, uh, you know, uh, poop on uh, FanDuel single game. But uh, I think if you're doing single entry lineup, that's where there's actually still the yes. most edge uh, just because the, the ability to get differentiation um, is so strong and there's so many that just overlap. So I think like those higher, higher entry, single entry, um, higher buying, single entry showdowns for FanDuel. Um, if you're willing to kind of grind that and really, really put some thought into how you can get differentiation without giving up substantial projections, uh, there's money to be made there. Well, I mean, the, the biggest secret in all of these single game things where the variance is so extremely high is you just have to be willing to lose a lot like that. Just at the end of the day, you really just have to be willing to lose. Like you have to be willing to play uh, Denzel Mims as the fourth wide receiver for the Jets at 7% ownership in a unique lineup to in, in some of these, these single games on FanDuel. Like you just have to be willing to make decisions that are plus EV, but you don't realize the equity all that often. Yep, exactly. You are yeah. giving up projected points in exchange for increased equity. Yeah. And so like, you know, if you, if you are just a dude who plays, you know, 50 bucks a week on, on DraftKings and FanDuel or whatever, like, I don't know, be, be smart about how you want to realize that money. Like it might be better, like, or, or even playing like, and the, this is actually such a gift about NFL is that even for like a $5 single entry, you can really be real. I think, I think first place on DK for the $5 single entry is $10,000. Most weeks that that sounds right. Which is like, Oh, $10,000, you know, that's nothing compared to, you know, winning the flea flicker or whatever. But if you get seventh in that once in a year, you've, you've made your year, like in terms of realizing your equity. And so you, you can feel confident knowing like what seven, 18 times five, I'm not going to do that math on the air. It's one, 180 bucks. So you can, so like, okay, I I'm comfortable losing $180 if I can realize $10,000 of dollars of equity one time. Yeah. Gosh, I'm ready for season to start. We're so yeah. close. All right. Let's uh, let's get out of here and let's talk about own the moment and the owner's club. Cause I think this is uh, it's a marriage of two ideas. We're both really into. 
I'm so pumped. Um, yeah, so the Owners Club is an NFT-based fantasy football club, and uh, it includes a blend of DFS, includes a blend of season-long football. Um, you know, a lot of the kind of I don't know complaints and challenges that have to do with DFS right now is that you really have to be on that grind. You you know, you're going against the pros. You have to put in the time. It's a game of spreadsheets rather than actual NFL knowledge and such. And, uh, and then there's also like the side of things where, hey, if you say heavy DFS player, there's aspects of it that I wish could be improved where if I, you know, uh, you know mentioned Ty Johnson earlier on, like, hey, you believe Ty Johnson is going to be the eventual like, you know, um, stud or you believe that the Miami Dolphins wide receivers are just going to have a huge year. But in DFS, you really don't have the opportunity to profit off that other than on a weekly basis. Right. Um, with the owners club, we're really changing the game and it adds NFTs. So you get that true ownership. Um, but you actually, you purchase NFTs at the beginning of the season. Each NFT is a, uh, it's a city, it's a place, a team and a position group. So it'd be something like Tampa Bay wide receivers, all right, New England tight ends. And uh, your card represents the fantasy scoring for that entire position group. And you can enter them across the season into free contests. And uh, so you, buy your pack of cards at the beginning of the season. You get one of each position, uh, QBs, running backs, wide receivers, tight ends, and defense. Uh, there's then two tournaments each week. One's a five-card one, one's a two-card one, and they're free to enter. And there's going to be a million dollars in prizes across the season, live final in Miami. Um, I'm pumped. It's going to be exciting. Yeah. Uh, I mean, pretty much like right up my alley, the combination of like crypto, NFTs, fantasy football. I, I am signed up. I have my I have my uh, my owners club account. I have my my OTM account. So I am I'm very pumped for it. Of course, you know you guys should definitely follow Justin on Twitter. Keep up with uh, on the moment. Keep up with the owners club. And yeah, I I, I think it's a great idea. Um, I'm very excited for you know the combination of of NFTs and fantasy football in general. Don't get me wrong. I love Top Shot, um, and they've they've made a lot of great improvements to the site. But like basketball, I love. But football is like everyone loves football more. Oh, yeah. Like, c- come on. Like, you know, everyone loves football more. Right. And I mean, I think what's going to be so fun about this, I think the secondary market is like the game of the game. And that's almost going to be more fun for people like us throughout the season. Because as we said, like, hey, you know, the mon- New York Jets wide receivers, none of those are getting drafted in the top 100. I think Corey Davis, Elijah Moore are just outside of it. Like, you're not that exactly excited about that. But if you have, those an entire wide receiver core across the entire season and you think they're going to do great you can buy 10 15 of those cards to begin the season and then as they start doing better as they maybe have a great schedule you can go flip them in those secondary market and now you're actually making more profit and you're free rolling with everything else yeah yeah all right so everyone follow justin follow uh on the moment you can check your uh your top shop portfolio there everyone sign up for the owners club. And I will be back with uh, one Mr. Patrick Corain a little bit later in the week. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. 